In this series of the RecX podcast, we bring real-life stories from the technology and business community in Birmingham of both challenges and successes from the last couple of months during lockdown. The objective of this podcast is to get these stories and lessons shared throughout our community so it doesn't feel like a struggle and that other businesses and employees are going through similar experiences and times. Our key talking points touch on checking in on your employees' mindsets and well-being, how businesses have had to adapt, what scenario planning have businesses been planning on and what does the future hold as we look to phase out of lockdown. What is more obvious than anything right now is that collaboration and togetherness is far more important than trying to go it alone. If you have anything to say or would like to be involved in the podcast, then please drop me a line and get in touch via LinkedIn or Twitter. For now, we hope you enjoy the new series. Okay. Afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, today. Um, I'm the founder of CX Square Talent Solutions, um, a tech recruitment business that's committed to helping the community in Birmingham and the West Midlands um, completely grow and, and bring in young talent um, whilst looking to support um, the next generation of young people and inspire them to get into tech. Um, I've got to say thank you to my hosts, uh, well, my co-hosts today, who are uh, Emma Howard, uh, Yanis, uh, Kaz, uh, Andrew and Christian, who um, are all, all going to be um, telling us their stories. Um, just so you know where this came from, where the idea came from, the reason I wanted to do it. Um, I've been hearing a lot of people wanting to hear stories, um, understand mistakes, um, and really learn how things have been moving over the last sort of three, four weeks, which have been very changing and in different times. Um, and I'm you know, really keen to, to get people's stories here um, and, and get you guys listening to the, the mistakes and, and those successes that they have made. Um, so I will take you through, um, if you want to start with Emma, um, if you want to give yourselves a quick introduction and then we'll, uh, we'll look to, to, to crack on. Yeah, absolutely. It feels a bit like blind date, doesn't it? It's like, who, what's your name, where you're from? <laughs> <What's> your <name? laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I'm Emma Howard. I've got, God, longer than I'd like to say, working um, in HR and big corporates. Um, I'm nowadays a career coach, both for businesses trying to grow their talent strategy and establish their engagement plans, and also for individuals. So I'm all about helping you find joy in the job you're doing while you actually find the work you were meant to do, because we, as we all know, there's a big difference. Yanis, Yanis, after you. Yeah, hello. I'm Yanis. Um, can't get that blind date thing out of my head now, Emma. I'm uh, <laughs> almost like, hi, I'm Yanis. I'm 37 and I'm from Birmingham. Um, there you go. Um, so I'm the, the founder of Birmingham Tech Week, um, a community interest group, um, really designed to help kind of the Birmingham tech and business community come together and, and collaborate better. So we launched in um, October last year, had 5,000 people from across the region come together and uh, to attend events and, and really kind of learn about how we can kind of help one another and kind of take our tech community to the next level. Brilliant. Um, Kaz? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Kasim, um, Chief Exec at the moment for uh, company called Wild Group of Companies. I set up my first business in 2002, uh, sold it in 2008, and um, we're doing the same again. So we have four companies in our portfolio right now. Um, aside from that, um, I'm also one of the 
the um, board members of Birmingham Tech Week, and the president of the Chamber of Commerce, Birmingham Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Asian Business Chamber of Commerce, which is part of GBCC, and I'm also the vice chairman of uh, Ron, Ron McDonald Charity. And I'm losing my voice because this is the fourth Zoom I'm on this feed today. So. It's because you're so busy nice with all those jobs. That's what it is. <laughs> Christian? Hey, good afternoon. Uh, my name's Christian Toon. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for a law, uh, professional services law firm called Pinsent Masons. Uh, we've had offices in the city for kind of almost 30 years now. Um, the law firm itself has got about three and a half thousand people dotted across the globe and hopefully share some stories today about what it's meant over the last few weeks taking what was pretty much 90% uh, working in the office and a kind of a physical traditional business um, of those three and a half thousand people literally every single one of them is now home-based um, and hopefully sort of share with you some of the, the challenges and, and great stories that for moving that and what that's meant. Thank you Christian um, and obviously lastly Andrew. Hiya, I'm Andrew. I'm the CTO of Prium Connect. We are a mobile billing company primarily, but we also work with some well-known brands to get their content out um, over the top media, basically. So we work with people like the NBA, WWE, Eurosport. You may have noticed these are all brands whose main business has stopped in the current crisis. That's so quite interesting. Uh, we have 60 people over in Long, uh, in Longbridge and we're currently all working from home and spending 600 hours a week staring at Zoom screens. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you Andrew. So look, without further ado, uh, what I'd really like to start off with is, and, and, and obviously whoever wants to go first, please feel free. Um, I do feel that I, I picked particular hosts because we've got them from all over the spectrum. Um, business collaboration at the moment is absolutely critical. However, what I want this to be is a storytelling uh, exercise more than us preaching and, and, and telling. Um, so what I want to know is whose businesses are being changed and flipped over their heads um, the biggest? I know Christian, you obviously touched on it just now. Um, what, what, do you, what does your business look like three weeks later um, and how has it been affected? Well, I think it's probably quite a subjective question, but I could probably bet that pretty much everyone here is no longer working how they used to work. Um, and for me, I kind of keep having to kind of uh, squash the kind of people talking about the new normal, because th this isn't normal at all. This uh, kind of, I have to go queue to the supermarket. I can't go out for longer than kind of one day of exercise. I can't see family and friends. And my uh, only interactions are like this. Um, so, so this isn't normal. And I think firstly, we've had to sort of recognize that because we started talking about, oh, hi, look, everyone's just working at home and it should be really easy. Um, but it's not just that, it's hard. And one of the big things we found was that, um, as I said, 90% of our business was office-based. Um, the physicalities of uh, shared printers, shared meeting spaces, client entertainment, centralized um, payment systems, uh, teams, HR, etc. Some of which have never had to work at home in their career, um, whether that even be at Pins at Masons or previous. It's just, it was never done like that. So um, it was quite unnerving, probably we're now about five, six weeks ago, 
not so much at kind of the, the, on the technology side of the house, but actually for our um, sort of rank and file teams that hadn't done this before and were all of a sudden expected to run a, a process in isolation. Um, so it's it started very, very daunting indeed. And we've had to do perhaps as much on the technology side for configurations and making it work as we have done on the cultural side in the sense of make, kind of taking our teams with us on this and, and helping them transition. What about yourself, Andrew? It's been a bit strange for us because half of our people basically work on the tech side of things and on a, on a, even on a physical basis, it's been really easy because we all work from laptops. We just take our laptops, we go home, we call in on the VPN and, and it's, it's business as usual for us. But the other half of the company who don't work in the tech team, I think it's much tougher because a lot of them don't have that prior experience that developers tend to have of at some point in their career working from home for for an extended uh, extended period of time but also i've noticed that for the developers we have kind of like a, a self-explanatory kind of predefined structure to our day in that the dev teams have morning stand-ups they have afternoon catch-ups they're still doing sprint planning sessions and retrospectives so they have a certain amount of structure to their time whereas the other half of the business, say the HR or the marketing people, they're not used to, to to operating entirely from home. They don't have that structure, and I'm always aware that it's a lot easier to keep yourself sane if you're in a, if you're working in a close knit group of seven or eight people than it is if you are, you know, one of two marketing people or you know the HR guy. So I think different people are having entirely different experiences right now. And Yanis, um, you're obviously very close to the um, to a number of tech businesses, uh, being the founder of Birmingham Tech Week. Um, what what have you been hearing from people? Complete mix, really. Um, so I think kind of you know to touch on the the points the the guys have made. Really, some businesses uh, have been able to adapt really quickly um, because they've got the the kind of systems and processes in place. Um, other businesses have been more reactive um, and have had to kind of work very closely with their employees to get them to kind of the level that they need to be um, in order to work from home. Um, but I think it, it ultimately comes down to, I think, the, the culture of these organisations. So I think the organisations that have strong cultures and have truly embraced empowerment, not just used it as a buzzword, I think are now starting to see the benefits of that. Um, I think empowerment's been talked about for a long time, um, but I think that ultimately um, it, it comes down to a level of trust. Um, and I think kind of empowerment without trust is a recipe for disaster. And I think the organisations that have really put structure around empowerment and processes and enable people to kind of work in a systematic way uh, are now able to operate or adapt, I should say, a lot faster. Um, but across the board, it's been difficult for everyone. I think, can I just, can I just add something around that? Because I think that's a really interesting point. I was having a conversation yesterday um, and we were talking about the difference between bosses checking in on you versus bosses checking up on you during this time. Um, and there's a really interesting um, kind of difference between the two. And I think you're absolutely right. The kind of cultures where you wouldn't hear from your boss normally 
and they're suddenly calling in to give you a well-being check, which is happening for quite a few people. Um, some of the people certainly that I'm speaking to who I'm coaching are finding that quite stressful in a way that they hadn't really anticipated because they feel that their productivity is still being measured in the same way during completely different circumstances. Um, and I must admit, there was, Dan, I think you saw one of my, my posts on LinkedIn. When all of this first started, um, I did have a bit of a reflection that so many people I've worked with are in my network were saying how amazing it was that their boss was calling to check on them. And we've got to raise our standards. If that's the baseline of what you think good management is, then we've got bigger problems than, you know, than, than this change period of time. So I think you're absolutely right. There's a difference around those companies that had already got that culture set up and it, it, they're kind of moving forward versus those who happen to have a completely different way of working conversation, which is a lot harder. Yeah, absolutely. I think what, I mean, I'm working with one, one client at the moment and their CEO, um, and, and they're based in San Francisco. So they've got offices in London, in Toronto and San Fran. Um, and he's now using Slack to do a virtual walk around. Um, so he used to do that in the office in, in San Francisco. And then obviously when he kind of dropped into Toronto and London, but he can't do that anymore. Um, so it's not about kind of, yeah, calling someone up and saying kind of, Hey, how are you? You know, yes. that's surely the norm. Um, but he's now kind of using Slack as a bit of a kind of round robin to kind of, you know, just share jokes with people and kind of, you know, talk about kind of things he knows about them. And I think when you've got that kind of empathy with your employees, you know, anything, and, and we are talking something catastrophic here, um, can be overcome. Yeah. Um, but it takes a very, very strong culture to allow you to do that. And I think a lot of organisations haven't invested enough mm. in order to kind of now kind of see um, the yeah. benefits. Yeah, I think just following up on that, I was on a, um, a webinar with Chris, who's on, who's, who's on this uh, yesterday. Um, and uh, one of the things that came up was, was, you know, in terms of employee engagement and mental well-being, which we will come on to, is that communication kept getting thrown around but communication isn't just let's pick up the phone or drop them a message on slack and seeing how you are um for me over communication um should actually be separate work from your personal life um mm -hmm. and actually genuinely touch base with them mm -hmm. you know how are they feeling not how's that how are you feeling now that project's gone or you know how are you feeling now that we're uh, you know we, we need to ramp up um and that's what has been a lot of um a lot of messages i had a um quick question from mick um at digital innovators for for andrew mick do you want to just quickly come off mute and ask ask andrew about the point because it's fairly relevant to what you just what we were talking about yeah yeah sure uh, thanks dan and hello andrew um, Andrew, I was, I was really interested in the comments you were making about the project teams continuing to work, continuing to do the things that they do. I'm just wondering how you're managing to keep up the engagement levels of those project teams when they're all isolated. I think, I think the, di the difference is that they have, they have structure in their conversation. So, I mean, we, we're using, um, we're using hangouts for all of our conversation and, it, you know it, it works really well for us but but i'm always aware that those guys have a really structured week i mean they you know the routine of being a developer working on a project and having your daily stand-up and having your project catch-up it's it's relatively it's relatively straightforward and, and i think the developers have, have, have just got used to it pretty quickly i think the danger is in assuming that it's the same for everybody because it's not and 
I think I think one of the things that gets lost in all this is that we are not just talking about people working from home for every day of the week. We're people we're saying you work from home every day day of the week. Oh, and you can't go and see your relatives or yeah. your friends. Yeah. And you can only leave the house when you have to, and you have to queue up every time you go to Sainsbury's. That that's that's the big picture. And I I think when when we do come out of this, I think you know people people often talk about how things are gonna how things are gonna change in 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 the future. And I think the things that are really gonna change are, are, are the big issues. I don't think it's gonna change the fundamental way people work with each other, but I think it's gonna make people kind of reevaluate how they spend their time and, and what they do day to day. But, you know, I'm, I'm always aware that, you know, we're only three or four weeks into this whole thing and this could go on, you know, three months, four months, who knows? And the conversations we'd be having after 14 weeks will be very different to the ones we're having now after, after four weeks. So, yeah, I think it, every, time, every, every time I find myself saying I think things are going well, I'm making a mental caveat that, you know, it's pretty easy for things to be going well after a few weeks, and and we'll see how that develops over time. I think that's behind my question, Andrew, because I recognise that that structure that you described, you know, was in my career for the for four years I was with BC, mm-hmm. and it's the same structure that's bringing us success now with the students in digital innovators. Mm-hmm. However, that structure has to have a human element to it, and and I think. It, it, it intrigues me how we're going to maintain that human element. I think that's what you're saying, really. It's, um, I just wonder whether you come across any any nuggets that we could uh, we could lift potentially. And, well, I, I, I think Emma made a good point about the difficulty of like phoning people, uh, calling people, you know, to to see how they are rather than to see you know how they're doing with the work. And one of the one of the first, when we decided to go fully remote, one of the first things we talked about was the need not just to call people when you want something or when you're, you know, checking up on when this project or that project is, but just for a chat. Yeah. It's actually it sounds really it sounds really simple, but it's not. It's really difficult because I have I have this conversation where I call people up just for a chat and I get, oh yeah, I'm doing all right. And then there's like an awkward silence where they ask me that they're thinking, what does he want? What does he want? <laughs> it's really it's it's really really difficult but at the, at the same time i would say looks at looked at another way our ceo is far more reachable and accessible now that anyone can ping him on slack and we know where he's going to be than he was when we were all office based and he might not be in the office he might be in london for the day or you know taking a holiday etc so it's it swings and roundabouts really it's very it's very difficult to to say where we stand with any of this because I think we're still trying to get into something that resembles a routine. So, so could I just do a bit of reflection on that because I think you're absolutely right Andrew but for me there's something around authenticity so you know I've had a lot of conversations this week around not forcing that connection so if it's not some, somebody you'd normally call up and ask how are you how's your wife and everything how's your family don't do it now because it just feels yeah. tick you know, and I think more than ever now, what people are looking for is authentic leadership. And interestingly, um, I suspect some of this is particularly kind of true in very large organisations where none of us are stupid. No, well, majority of, of people aren't stupid. Um, we know there are going to be dro- job losses as a result of the economic kind of crisis on this. And there is this um, kind of two pronged approach that I believe some companies are taking, which is, hey, senior leadership, we're all here for you. We really care about you. We couldn't really pick you out of a lineup, 
And also, you all know that we're in the background adding up who's going to go next. And that kind of, that kind of lack of transparency or authenticity, um, I think, is something that's going to be fascinating when we move into, as we were talking about before this aired, you know, how to keep people engaged and how to kind of drive that engagement long term, as opposed to maintaining it through this immediate very difficult period and then seeing your retention drop off a yeah. cliff as soon as we're out. Um, and that authenticity piece for me is absolutely, absolutely key. Yeah. Uh, just chipping on, on the communication point that, uh, that Andrew sort of started with. And one of the challenges we've, we've had is, I mean, even just things like this, because people felt confident talking kind of in person to each other. But, and, and, and I'm not saying it, it is because of that, but there's a small group of attendees that we've got on this call that don't have the video on. And I guess it kind of, it plays a lot to how we communicate and how our brains process the information. Um, like some are perhaps lean towards more verbal communication, some are more visual. Um, coupled that with a kind of self-confidence piece because nobody really wants to be looking at themselves um, kind of in reflection as they're talking to others. And it's taken us quite a while, even in my own team, to just kind of get everybody to switch the camera on um, and just really kind of engage because um, we started this and it was like, I'll, I'll phone you. And it's like, well, I, I'd normally see you in the office. So um, let me see you. And, and, and it's such a little thing like that. We, I feel has been able to really capture both the kind of the, I guess the language um, sort of thinkers as much as the, the sort of the, the visual thinkers as well. Um, but it was something that we'd not really kind of thought about until we found we were holding calls and trying to sort of see who's engaged and what they're doing. And, um, you find people kind of, uh, I guess, firstly, are then a little bit under the microscope and, and rightly so. Um, but then it's like, I want you to be engaged in what I'm talking to you about now, not with my camera off so you can't see what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm probably multitasking over here whilst talking to you, etc. It's really getting people to buy into that kind of moment. Um, and it's hard. And in a lot of the cases, it's been nothing more than just forcing it to say, right, I'm not going to carry on talking until you switch your video on. Um, and a few, it took us about probably 72 hours to kind of people realize that they couldn't just rock up to their laptop with their pajamas on. They kind of feel confident in themselves and actually just starting to do that. So you can see who you're talking to. And that really helped because it, it broke down that barrier. We, we, we reinforced the camera on policy from day one, initially because we wanted to try and make things as, as, as similar to being actually in the same room as we possibly could. But what we found was there was a creeping suspicion that what we were actually trying to do by insisting people have their cameras on is check is check that they're not sat there in the garden, you know, having a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And, and do you know what I mean? It just, it's one of those things where the nuance yeah. is so fine. There's a really thin line between making a community spirit and, and kind of triggering suspicions. Well, and it's that presenteeism, isn't it? Because I was reading an article recently that said, oh, you know, the office is dead. This is the way we're going to communicate moving forward. And actually, my biggest fear is that this type of communication blurs that line between home and work for people. You know, if we're lucky, we do what we love. So we don't mind that. We've all had jobs where you go in and you're desperate for 5.30 when it rolls around on a Friday because it's a division. Um, and I think that that lack of that at the moment, um, I'm seeing more and more digital presenteeism than I ever saw in the in the office you know if you can do something in an hour and then go and sit in the garden for half an hour is that better than dragging it out for two hours so it looks like you're online I, I don't know and I think these are all the, the things that people are starting to think about and I think I think that's kind of that that's where empowerment really comes into it 
because if you truly empower people to do their jobs it shouldn't matter kind of where they do it how they do it what they dress like um, it should be about kind of them you know taking ownership and delivering that to the best of their ability and trusting them in them to come back and say actually you know I finished that task you know what next or I've come up with an idea um, but I think that actually the, the big thing I, th I don't think the office is dead but I think the office will evolve Every small what we're going to see with the office is a transformation to almost innovation and creative hubs where people come together in a physical environment to actually conceptually create ideas and projects and you know work in in that environment where you can kind of really kind of throw things around and and, and kind of you know move things forward but i think that digital now won't go away we won't revert back to type straight after this i think we're going to see a hybrid model ultimately doesn't yeah. anybody else find themselves thinking that when we do come out of this and i'm kind of joking here but a little bit seriously that they might find a lot of people are actually going to say do you know what i never want to work at home again after three months yeah. of that yeah. i'm going to the office for my next fortnight holiday <laughs> i just just want to make a couple of points here and um, i think it's uh I'm, I'm finding this conversation really, really fascinating. And I think I've been living in a bit of a bubble um, over the last 20 years in, in the businesses that I've built. And I'd like to think that, that, that I've been, built the businesses in the right way, um, that they're value-based rather than that it's been all purpose over profit. Um, and I think, you know, when this happened, one of the things that, that I mean, we have, we have three value statements in our business that are based around brave, bold, and being empathetic. Um, and, and more so than ever now, as a business, we have to live those values. They're not just three fluffy words that, uh, that we thought about and, you know, they're, they're there when we need them. Actually, now is really a time for, for businesses to really live the values that they talk about. But I think we also live in a world of utopia. And what we're talking about is utopia. And I, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago saying that things won't change, that actually, and the reason why things won't change, and I think without putting a somber note on it or a negative note on it, the reason why things won't change is because humans always revert back, back to type. Um, and we, and we, we're not going to change the behaviours that we've learned over the last 20, 30, 40 years. There might be some things that are going to change, but actually because we're waiting for things to go back to normal, they'll go back to how they were. Uh, and, and it was this kind of di this dichotomy and this kind of uh, thing that was going wrong, around in my head. You know, are we waiting for things to go back to normal, which means that actually we're going to revert back to type. So I, I do think things are going to change, but I think economics are going to play a really, really big part in that. And just before this call, I was having a conversation with, um, with a friend of mine whose wife's a will writer, and she used to go out to Leicester and all these places, and she used to have a region that she used to look after. But now, um, they're, you know, the, the business is going through the roof, and... Uh, because they're writing wills for people all over the UK. And she doesn't have to do that. Now she has to do um, a Skype call with the prospective clients. And some of them are elderly. And some of these people have um, what I would call digitally been interrupted. We've now been physically, digitally disrupted. And actually what's happened with a lot of businesses is this is true digital transformation that, that's happening. And I think... I think, um, I, I think economics is going to play a really big part because my friend's wife, she doesn't have to travel anymore um, and, and, and her company won't have to pay her 
petrol expenses when she's traveling to and from. So I think in, in, in those similar, those scenarios, I don't think it's going to be utopia and uh, this is the right thing to do. I think economics across um, many, many big organizations, big enterprises is gonna play a huge part. And actually it's not gonna be the values, but actually what's gonna be left on the balance sheet. And uh, I, think we need to, I think we need to be a bit practical about some of the conversations that we're having um, the backdrop is going to be based around, you know, is this going to look better on our balance sheet, our investors, our, you know, um, the people, you know, profits, whatever. So I think, I think we're just going to be careful. Um, we're waiting for the, the, the unpause to happen um, and, and things to go back to normal. So as, as Andrew said, you know, we're only in it three weeks and it's a very fluid and very changing dynamic every week. Um, how we change, I don't know. So my mentality is we just take every day as it comes. Um, you know, my, 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 my guys are working um, all over the place and they've got structure uh, and, you know, I've just built my business on, you know, crack on and do what we need to do. And, and, and I find it quite kind of unusual that people find it difficult or leaders are finding it difficult to, to call in to see how their employees are doing and, yeah, not just, I think it was a point from Alyssa earlier on to say that, I mean, the example she gave was that some people just aren't, um, aren't jumping on board this kind of flexibility. They're kind of just assuming to carry on as normal, but this isn't normal, but the mentality is there. As a person, I find that really strange. And that's yeah. the different, Kazim, sorry, um, hello everybody, um, is what I'm seeing and what leaders need to be and what I'm coaching my um, clients is, is around this compassion. I, you know, I'm an educator and a coach, and I just see some behaviors very logical, very scientific, right, we'll take this, we'll do why, and not, not realizing we need to pause and just recognize the impact this is having on people, which I know Emma will probably be covering, covering later on in the session. But this is significant. You know, a lot of us in the education sector, I've had to learn a whole new skill set in a week on how to teach online, how to teach virtually, how to run training sessions, and I had five days to do that. And, you know, it's overwhelming yeah. for students, for me, for, for, for everybody. And I think we need to pause and recognize and just have compassion for the situation people are in. I completely agree. And I think actually, you know, to see your, your point around how does it feel so strange? I think it's, it's there is a big difference, certainly in the clients that, that I'm speaking to um, between very large businesses and owner managed businesses at the moment. Right. And this is where we talk about that authentic, authenticity of value and that connection um and i actually I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day where we were saying you know people have long stuck to the kind of corporate beer moths because it keeps them safe or they think it does and i think what we're going to see more and more now and we were actually saying this weren't we just before as we were dialing in is do we see people actually start to kind of branch out go to smaller companies start their own be braver kind of live those values more because the businesses that you thought will keep you safe certainly from what I'm hearing at the moment, are actually some of them who are not equipped, you know, some of the very large ones are not equipped to have that type of um, flexibility and agility, I think, in the way that Alyssa said. Um, and, and will we see a shift? E equally, as somebody who's already always been in HR, I think there is a fascinating question to be asked, and I don't know the answer here, around what responsibility do companies have to an employee's mental health? And I think that's a very... Um, it's a very interesting line to cross, um, you know, around actually what are the responsibilities 
versus what are the expectations and I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of businesses have thought about that before we yeah, the, the legislation's there to outline the duty of care for the physical health and well well-being of the, the, that yeah. kind of person but it doesn't necessarily stretch as far um, in my experience to kind of that mental well-being as well um, uh, just interesting your point there around the kind of almost the sort of I guess career change redundancy mm-hmm. um, I think one thing we are anticipating at the end of this whenever kind of that, that kind of comes upon us is very much a kind of skill shift um, we're certainly kind of looking to anticipate in the markets and, and certainly something we're evaluating as the actually roles that we traditionally had doing stuff we probably don't need some person doing it anymore because we've adapted and we've kind of changed the way of working because we've needed to but actually have a duty of care to that employee and, and feel that actually we probably whilst we won't, won't need skills on one side of the organization we probably do need them on the other side and one of the big examples I've got there is um, I guess our kind of customer service cool. or um, when you came into the office either for events or specific meetings etc now, just hypothetically, we uh, shrink some of our property portfolio and actually we don't have as many. Um, if you were then to say, well, okay, there's uh, some roles there potentially at risk. Uh, well, how, can we, how can we support and use those? Whereas on the flip side of our business, we are really going hammer and tongs in the technology space. We're building um, bots uh, and chatbots and kind of development stuff that we are expecting to interact with people but it's being coded by people that have no customer services skills. I'm kind of being flippant, but the point being here, we can hopefully take somebody from one side of the business and apply their background and skills and trade on the other side, whilst actually trying to give them something transferable. So I don't think it's a lost cause, assuming that organisations recognise it's not about reducing headcount, it's around redeploying it. Can I just um, just touch on one thing? Because I know we've been talking about leadership. I, I feel there's a massive difference between management and leadership, and I think that's been the biggest problem with uh, a lot of um, a lot of businesses um, is that they are defined as a um, as a manager, but actually they need to lead. And I think at this time, more than anything, um, I know you touched on it, uh, Kaz. Um, it, it was obviously um, empathy. You know, I think empathy in this current time is, 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 is the biggest challenge. Um, Kaz, can I ask you, you mentioned one point about reverting to type um, and, and, and not changing. Um, can I put you on the spot? Do you feel that you're going to change after this? Not in my approach to the way I've, you know, that I've been brought up in terms of my core values as a human being. I might change some of our working practices, and we're looking at that um, from, a, from, a, from an economic point of view. But actually, as a as a as a person, as a as an individual, um, as someone who's you know had relative success in business, the way I treat people, the way we go about doing all our things is um, it, it won't change me as you know as a human being, um, and that's why I say that you know it will change our may change our practices, but do, is it going to change our core value sets? as a human being um, and I think undoing that, unpicking that, that's core to your DNA is going to be a very difficult thing. Yeah, good point. Absolutely good point. Carl had a, a question. Go on. Yeah, sorry. Can I comment on that? I, Kasim, I, I'd love to think that we would create technologies that, um, that represented your value set because 
I totally agree with you that the the world will be driven. We will go back to type, or at least eighty percent of the population will go back to type, and we will be driven by economics. Mm-hmm. What intrigues me though is that we're generating. We've got generations coming up behind us, particularly in my case. I should be retired, I reckon, by now. But um, there's generations coming behind us who will have, who will want to hold hold on to some of the value sets that you're describing, or aspire to the value sets that you're describing. But technology might move them away from them. And I think it's incumbent on the um, the community, the digital community, to to ensure that those values are maintained, and in fact reinforced. Oh, would you agree? I absolutely agree with you. And if you look at, you know, millennials, you know, if you, in, in two, by 2025, I think it was a statistic I, I remember from one of Yanis's conferences at, C, at CX, you know, um, that uh, by 2025, 75% of the workforce is going to be millennial. And, and we know that millennials are driven by purpose over profit. So you see the businesses that are really doing, uh, really making headway, in 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 uh, in the world today, and around technology and, and and things like that, they're really driven by by the purpose of why they're doing it, and yeah. people want to get behind a movement. And we've seen right now, you know, we, we can mention him, you know, Richard Branson, you know, had a set of values, and one of his his sayings was, you know, you look after your people, and they'll look after your customer. And where's that gone? Where when when you really need him to believe? in what he said that's to me that's true leadership is leadership is it's okay having the title i've got plenty of titles but actually that opens doors for me but actually too true true leadership to me is when the proverbial hits the fan do you do what's right for your people or are you going to do what's right economically right and this is the this is the this is a very difficult situation sometimes to be in so for me now I hope, I hope I'm a human being at the end of the day and I have to look at it from a human perspective. I hope I'm doing the right thing for, I, for, for my people. We've said we're not going to furlough anyone. It's there in the background if, if we need it, but it's been too easy for some of these large organisations to furlough people. They've got money in the bank for this blip to get some, what I would say, some free cash flow for the next few months. So for me... Um, I can only go off of the way I am and the way I hopefully treat my people. You know, I'm not going to keep everyone happy because that's the way life is. But um, I do, I do think it's so important. For me, the sign of true leadership is creating other leaders, other leaders. And if we're going to be bringing through those people, we need to be selfless at this moment in time. And that's the way I look at things. You know, and hopefully that's been my ingredients for success like i said i'm a human being i get things wrong but i'm quite open about stuff like that you know so there are a lot of companies who have mission statements and talk a lot about trust and believing yeah. in their people but when we come out of this and whole chunks of the economy aren't there anymore mm. i think is going to be a case of people putting their money where their mouth is and i think we'll find there'll be a depressing number of cases where those those uh, those mission statements will just turn out to be empty slogans because of financial necessity. I, I was about to say bullshit, Andrew, because you're more polite than me, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, I was just there, that, that really interesting dichotomy there of economics versus people. 
you know, kind of my hope and certainly what I aim to do, you know, when Dan and I've talked before around kind of holistic HR, which is how I believe it should be done, is combination of the both. So is it possible for you to have a business that is really economically sound plus looking after people? Yes. However, what I think we've seen is some really, um, and everywhere, I don't think this is, you have to, irresponsible people practices in terms of, for me, you know, irresponsible levels of hiring where you don't need them not linking people to actually what their job is. So I read a stat the other day that said something like 62% of Americans feel that their job is not necessary. You know, where's the purpose in that? Where's that meaningful work? And that's what kind of, I think the role of a leader is nowadays to really explain to people, this is, you know, you might feel like you're a tiny cock, but this is where you fit into this. And that's much more than a salary then for people, isn't it? That becomes something that you can really believe in and get behind. And it's that type of buy-in that helps people weather this type of storm and will lead to the growth I think we will see in some companies certainly as people move towards authentic non-bullshit corporate slogans really. Um, sorry Emma just just going back to the point that you made earlier and I think it's so important I think it's so important to, to, to be honest at this time at oneself with oneself and and with the people around you because people need to know where they're at and, and where, they yeah. need, where they need certainty and I'll just give you an example um, over the last couple of years, we've had four people that have had mental health issues. I, as a, as a leader, and I say in inverted commas, um, ha did not have a clue of how to deal with it. We don't have the tools, you know, and, and, and quite quickly you'll spin into, is it an excuse? You know, you, you, your brain starts thinking, how do, how do I deal with this? You know, they're not getting up, you know, they're, they're acting different their behavior is erratic and i think more and more so now leaders need to be really understanding people um over economics because the two flow yes. in and out of each other because if really if you if you really believe in your look one of the other slogans people always think about what's the difference between you and other people the people that we employ well now is the time to really believe those things and and stand up and say, right, if we really believe that our business has been forged because of the people, then back them at this moment in time. And I don't understand it. I'm getting really frustrated about it because, you know, I, I don't understand why people would say those things and then not follow through with it. When a time when, when, when it's those people that have actually got your business to where it is right now. Yeah. I believe you reap what you sow really. I mean, I, I think in our company, we have, we have, I mean, there's 60 of us, and it's it's a really smooth ship. Everybody gets on. We invest in our people. We, you know, we train them. We try to keep them motivated. And we, and you know, we put a, an awful lot of effort into it. And I think now that we're seeing difficult times, we we we're getting it back. And 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 I keep on going on these calls. And, and one thing I one thing I notice is how many people talk about trust and whether or not you can trust your employees. And I always think. If you can't trust your employees, you're hiring the wrong people yeah. and or you're not treating them the right way. I mean, we, we, had, we had a system outage, a pretty catastrophic one, before, not that long before Christmas. And without even asking, we had like whole dev teams in 12 hours, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. overnight on Monday. We didn't have to ask because we're getting back what we put into them. Yeah. And that's why we have, we have such a low churn rate. And all these things are... All these things are interlinked. And I, I came to this company from a, from a much bigger company with a horrendous churn rate. 
And it, it, when you see that, you realise how much money you are burning because you don't trust your people, you don't train them, you don't do anything to keep them. And it, it, was, a, it was an environment where the company knew the, the, the price of everything and the value of nothing. And to come from there to a company like where I am now, is, it's so refreshing. You really understand how important that is. So let's just let's just just strip back a second because uh, I, what what what's frustrating me about social media at the moment um, and definitely over the last four weeks is that we always hear about the good things, um, all the celebrity. Who can actually be hand on heart honest? Who's made a mistake over the last four weeks, um, and why has it been a mistake? And what have you learned from it? <laughs> I think we've only got another twelve minutes, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so so I think one of the one of the biggest challenges was perhaps not something as a mistake per se, but an assumption that we made that turned out to be massively false. So we assumed that everyone in our business who uses a computer day in, day out to do whatever it is they do, um, really knows how to use it um, when isolated. And we sort of joke about it now, but we've sort of stricken the words like intuitive and easy to use and out of the box kind of sort of processes just from the vocabulary. Because the, the biggest um, under, uh, thing we underestimated was, was people's actual um, technical ability to go home and get configured so they were comfortable for work. And, and I'm not talking about kind of sitting on the sofa and opening their laptop because recognizing this was a, a long-term play. So they've needed to sort of not only look at hardware and kind of putting together a bit of an office space, but actually then using some applications that they've just never had to use before because they've been maybe in a group setting, somebody's volunteered to do it, or um, they've always kind of participated or attended, but never orchestrated and kind of talking people through how to use some of the internal chat programs or something as simple as that um, has been a massive learning curve for us. That was a big assumption there that, well, everyone's got a laptop. They should be able to work at home. It's not a problem. Um, and of course, as soon as they walked out the door, um, yeah, it was gone. So, so for us, that kind of assumptive piece on, on technical knowledge, because we've got such a demographic um, ranging from, uh, I don't know, how do we sort of uh, the digital native people born with kind of keyboard in their hand at, at one level, um, all the way through to sort of dinosaurs um, who don't touch a computer or keyboard or smartphone because they have people to do it for them. But we've just taken those people away from them. So now they've got to do something. Um, and and that, that's probably been probably one of the biggest lessons for us was, again, and probably a theme for today has been people and kind of making sure that we're kind of taking them on that journey. Good. Any, any other takers for um, challenges, mistakes? One, personally, is I've struggled to switch off. Um, I have thrown myself into work as almost a coping mechanism. Um, so I'm working kind of longer days than ever before. Um, I am doing a lot more deep working um, as well. Um, and I think, I know that's not sustainable. Um, and I'm, I'm someone who has kind of, I know the pitfalls of, you know, what, what I'm, you know, demonstrating right now in my behavior. Um, but I, 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 I've still not got an outlet, mainly because I haven't got that physical contact with people. Because I think that physical contact is so important to be able to demonstrate empathy and talk to people on a deeper level. 
I think Zoom or kind of online will never ever replace that. Um, and, and that's why I believe we'll, we'll end up with these hybrid models ultimately. Um, but I think what something that Chris mentioned, by the way, in, in, in the chat, which I kind of picked up on an organizations being um, transparent. Um, yeah, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen organizations that have come out and said, we're going to head into a recession. People are going to be laid off um, and we'll be very open with you um, about that. Um, and I've seen organizations that are, are paralyzed. Um, but I think we're going to end up with a, a bit of a, a power shift. Because I think over the last probably five or six years, the power has really kind of been with the employee. Because there's been a talent shortage, therefore kind of employees have been able to kind of, you know, really say to the organization, we, you know, we want strong values, we want good cultures. Overnight, that power has gone back to the organization. And I think the real true test now will be whether those organizations stick to their cultures and values or whether they go, we've got the power back, we can kind of operate and we can focus on profits over purpose, what Kaz mentioned. And um, I think the, the ones that will succeed long-term will be the organizations that actually focus on purpose and stick to that. Um, but it's gonna be fascinating and, and it's not gonna be easy at all. Yeah, I, I, completely, I completely agree with you. Um, so, does anyone want to be uh, throw themselves out there? What what does the future hold? Uh, how do you see it? And Carl, just to pick up on your point, um, I always refer to, to technology uh, or IT as technology now. Um, reason being is um, I think technology sounds sexier than IT um, off the record. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I do completely agree with you. What what does the future hold for uh, for our businesses? Um, and you know, from a transparent point of view, which you touched on, Chris. What changes are we going to make um, when, when we can come out of this? So I think for us, one thing we're looking at now is um, to really sort of embrace a, a concept around kind of automation, um, not kind of using um, sort of anything other than perhaps just some good technology to make things easier for people. Um, obviously what, what this has shown us is that we've had quite a lot of traditional, maybe even paper heavy in some regards, processes for this. Um, and we're certainly I'm even starting work on it kind of at the moment is looking at to kind of what that means. Um, so I think we've touched on it a bit, the kind of the, the new businesses that we go back to won't be what we've left behind. Um, and for us, it's going to be very much a lot around process automation. Um, to kind of get the technology to do a lot of the, the heavy lifting, but obviously also being mindful of the fact that our, our teams and our expertise that we have in-house at the moment could not only be fundamental in, in kind of supporting that, um, but actually also to see where, where else we can start kind of exploring for innovation um, or, or automation or even just kind of exploring new markets or new ways of working. Daniel, can I... Just come in on that as well, please. Um, I think I think you're going to find, um, you know, um, a lot of agility that's going to happen within small businesses. I think they're going to they're going to dominate a lot better now um, because they're going to be doing a lot of them are going to be doing it for the right reasons and for the right things. The brands that are really going to be successful, and there was a, a report that was um, written um, a few days ago alongside a big e-commerce company. Uh, and, and, and FBS, who's a, a, a commerce fulfillment house, 
um, it's, a, it's a big brand, you've probably seen them. They were saying that, that brands that have done the right thing during this time, that have stood by their employees, um, the people that got surveyed, over 60% of them said, we're gonna stick with those brands that have done the right thing. The shift out might have happened, as Yanis has said, I've never looked at it like that to, to the employer, but the shift more and more is going to be around brands that are doing the right thing. And Andrew's just mentioned around automation um, and, and, and doing things um, in the, you know, to, to make things more efficient, quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's economic led. It's still economics led. It's not people led. What if you really, I, I really truly believe this now, that the brands that are really going to excel are going to be some, the SMEs are going to excel. We're going to go back to local buying, you know, doing local shopping. And the brands that are really going to, really going to steam on ahead are the ones that are doing the right thing at this moment in time. Because people don't forget. People will not forget. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and I think um, uh, just something that I'd like to add on that, and I think, Yanis, it's really interesting that you're kind of talking about that shift between kind of, you know, candidate and 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 employer. Um, I suspect that we're going to see something very similar in the, in the short term, absolutely, but in the long term, I think we're going to see some real dips in terms of what people do. One of the conversations um, we were about to have, actually, before we started recording, was the fear that everybody feels at the moment, because everybody feels afraid because it's uncertain, um, for some people that is going to keep them exactly where they have always been and they're going to be very resistant to that change. It's a natural human response. They're going to dig in, they're going to stay exactly where they have before, they're going to try and do what we've always been doing except over Zoom, you know, but try and keep that the same. Other people I think are going to use this kind of time to really think about what it is that they want and what matters to them in every area of their life, particularly what's that purpose. I think that's, you know, Kaz's point. And I think what we're going to see is a real, certainly we're seeing this in the coaching work that I'm doing, people saying, what am I doing this for? So I think we're going to have, it's a game of two halves, but I think we're going to have probably 18 months after this period where actually it'll look like, you know, things are kind of reverting back. I mean, I think we're going to see a big shift because this is such a wake up call for so many people on a psychological level. Um, and I think we've, you know, we're not allowed to use the words unprecedented. I was told the other day, but um, you know, this is, we're in living history. This is the type of time that people will be writing sociology papers, employment papers, government papers on, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And I think keeping an eye on that people side of it and really being as kind and empathetic and supportive as we can is the key to coming through with our integrity, not just our got a bit of downtime um, to pick up a copy of Simon Sinek's copy of uh, Start With Why. Um, fantastic read and kind of, I don't think we'll ever date but to very much to that point, Emma, is just look really questioning why we're doing what we're doing, both personally and professionally. I think it's really important. I could just dive in really quickly. Uh, sales pitch. I run a software process automation company. Um, what we are finding is everyone wants to talk about it. And you are right. It is it is um, cost driven. Everyone's looking to save costs. But what we're finding with the businesses that we do automation for is that. 90% of them cutting costs around people is because the processes they're running are inefficient, manual, and people have just been doing it like that forever. And it tends to be the bigger, more established, you know, historical businesses like solicitors, in fact, who, who are still using paper and all the rest of it. What we tend to find when we work with uh, more aligned businesses, shall we say, where the culture and everything is kind of aligned and everyone's on that mission to do whatever they need to do, 
they use automation to enable their clever, expensive people to do whatever it is that they do and not sit there copying and paste stuff between two Excel sheets for argument's sake. Um, and I want to kind of dispel this myth that all automation is good for is to save money. It's not. It saves money sometimes by freeing you up to spend time on stuff that actually matters as opposed to stupid and old-fashioned admin process. End of rant. <laughs> I think you make a, a great point there, Carl. Um, because I think kind of automation has been seen as kind of a, a, an answer to a lot of businesses' problems. Um, and I've seen automation delivered where, you know, in a customer experience environment, um, where it, it's really a cost-saving exercise, um, but it's been put across as a way of enhancing the customer experience, um, but it's delivered in a very clinical and cold way. Um, but a piece of advice that a kind of mentor of mine once gave me was just make your job redundant, because if you do, you'll kind of move up on in your career. And I, I've probably done that three or four times in my, in my life. Yeah, I, me too, sadly. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of, you know, to Kaz's point, created people in my team who could kind of take on the mantle and, and do my job, all by mm. putting technology in there to actually make it somewhat redundant. And guess what? It's not that you lose your job, it's you've got another challenge. No. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a way kind of, you know, that's a very kind of individual thing, but I think businesses can take that same philosophy and implement it across their organizations. I think ultimately it comes down to everything we've been discussing today around what is your business's culture and goal? And, and if it's true and, and honest, I think ultimately the business makes the right call on, on how to save that money. And actually, if it is BS, then you are going to get rid of people. Um, and I think I get the impression from the group of people here that we're all fairly senior people in control of our businesses and, and able to do what we feel is the right thing based on our own values and, and with our staff. I think where that becomes harder is as you get bigger, if you are a multinational. And I think the most important thing at the moment is about alignment and, and trying to do that at scale is difficult. So I appreciate that as you get bigger, it's hard to keep everybody going in that direction. It kind of, um spreads out and i think that's one of the hardest things uh, my life's easy i've only got you know 40 people to worry about but if i have four thousand people to worry about how do i transcend but, that down but, to but, but that's where and i think carl i'm glad to see you're in new york now it's nice to see you traveling <laughs> who, who said there were no flights he's everywhere um yeah and that's where you know i i really bang the drum for hr because you know hr in its traditional sense is absolutely where's your payslip where's your you know <laughs> how many days were you sick but when you talk about that scale there's something for me around really hiring people who understand the mission as well as the the job they're doing they understand why they're doing it when you start to embed that from the beginning and i'd actually argue that for everybody who's about to scale up over the next five years they've got an amazing opportunity to do it where it's really difficult and certainly where i've had it pretty difficult is where it's in an already established very large company because to turn that tanker is almost impossible and to try and embed <laughs> values that we didn't have at the beginning whereas to start now you know just think there are some businesses that are just kind of you know going through will we survive won't we survive period now that will be the biggest businesses in the world in 20 years time and i find that amazing a lot of that will be around to can they scale up not just the economics and the process but the people communication um, i don't understand how any anyone in a senior management role does not understand why HR is so important. And, and, and like I say, I don't mean in, you know, filling in the payslips or the, or the P45s, but growing the company. I mean, we, we currently, we're 60 people now, so we're a small company still, 
but a year ago we were 20 people that that's a, that's still a big change and yep. that's where that's where the challenge is so i just don't just pick up on your point there i don't understand how so many people don't understand that we we don't always cover ourselves in glory there andrew do we you know like we, we can often be the computer Paul, says no ironically um you know <laughs> nope not doing that um, and i think there's something around this is really calling into question you know not just a time of flexibility and agility for technology but mm -hmm. for um you know other areas as well and those that support that growth yeah. i'm wary i'm wary about time guys um and and obviously thank you so much um for 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 your contributions does anyone have any questions uh final questions before we um we obviously look to to wrap up i've got one when's all this going to end <laughs> yeah I, I know what you're saying um i'd just like to thank uh, everyone that's um, obviously taking part in today's um, webinar, uh, first of all, um, this is going to be the start of, of a series of, um, of sort of initiatives we're going to be looking to, to push out. Uh, to be honest, um, transparent, uh, Chris, you, uh, you touched on, um, we're, we're going to be rolling out a live podcast one-on-one -on -one, um, with businesses uh, and leaders, uh, but we're also going to continue the, the conversation. Um, I think honesty is, is, is the biggest thing. Uh, and if I could just talk about, just, just to conclude on this session, um, I am in lockdown with my family, which is great um, in a way obviously. Um, but actually, it, it does feel lonely as a business owner. Um, and, and I think not, not enough people admit to that. Um, and I think we, if, if I can have any recommendations for anyone, I think communication is, 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 and conversation is absolutely critical. But honesty is, and I think when you're a business leader and a business owner, it's very difficult because you always have to lead from the front, when actually sometimes it's even more important for you to take a step back and talk to your people um, and talk to your friends and family uh, with a true word. Um, but I'd just like to say thank you very much. Um, and um, if, if you've got any questions, you've got my email and, and, and I'd love to continue the conversation after this. But thank you once again. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Bye. See you later. See you soon.